Episode 7, Behind the Break, E.J. Churchill, England, Team USA. And what do you have, Alex? World English Sporting. Team USA is over in England right now uh, for the World English Sporting Championship, and we have sent Kevin DeMichael and David Radulovich over there with a computer, a microphone, and an email address. And, and said, told them to get to work. That's right. And we said, look, go find the best shooters that you can find in the world. We want to hear from them. So uh, let's see what they got. I think it's going to be pretty good. Here we go. This is David Adulovich. I'm here just outside of London, England at the World English Sporting Championship at EJ Churchill. And uh, earlier today, Kevin DeMichael and myself got a chance to sit down with Richard Falds, uh, multiple time world champion, Olympic gold medalist, and really one of the most technically perfect shooters in the history of the game. or do you want me to? No, you do it. Okay, so we are here at EJ Churchill at the World English Sporting Championship and we're sitting uh, with one of my favorite shooters, Richard Falbs. So I'll let him uh, tell you about everything he's won because I'm not going to be able to remember any of it. <laughs> but uh, so Richard, tell us a little about, about yourself, how old you are, where you're from, how long you've been shooting and how many world championships do you have? Okay, so uh, I'm 41 years old. I'm from Hampshire, which is about an hour west of London. Uh, I've been shooting since I was nine years old. And to date, currently have 21 world titles and one Olympic gold medal from Sydney 2000. So... <sighs> <laughs> All right, say that again. How many world titles? 21. 21. Okay, various... you're, old, you're how old? 41. All right. So That's if great. I never lost one, by the time I was four years old... You're not going to catch him anyway. Uh, no. No. <laughs> so I'm actually older than you, 42. Oh, oh, boy, there's no hope for me. There's no hope. No hope. That's pretty awesome. Yep. Um, so to start off, I want to know something about you that would surprise people to know. See, oh, David, David likes to ask really hard questions. Like, yeah. I wouldn't know how to answer that. Right at the beginning of the right interview. Right at the beginning well. of the interview, yeah. yep. Um, and I have no idea how to answer that, so we'll come back to that one. <laughs> okay. You can think of it for the rest of the interview. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you shot today, right? Yes. Shot the blue course. Blue on course on the main event. Uh, what did you think about the targets? Um, the course starts off fairly gently, first two or three stands, mm -hmm. um, and then you go down from uh, the top of the top of the hill, you get down the valley, and then it gets fairly tough for the next well, six or seven stands, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some good rangy birds, there's some funny angles. Um, one or two are hard to see with the light in the wood. Um, and then 
you know, the last two or three stands, it eases off a little bit, and you know, you can hopefully finish off, you know, yeah. with, a, with a, a few decent stands at the end. Right now, what's different about the World English than any other shoot is we all start on station one, correct? Correct. So yeah. we're we're what ten or fifteen minutes apart, and we start out. Is that? I think it? there's like a an eight or nine minute gap. Okay, eight or nine yeah. minute gap. So we all start on one and go through the whole course. So we're pretty much all starting at the same yeah. spot. Okay. I think that's a lot better. I do too. I, I agree. Yeah. With it is that. it yeah. is fairer because then everyone can be broken in gently. Yes. And, uh, you, you, because particularly on this course, if you were to start on, for example, station five, mm -hmm. you're going to get five tough stations on the trot. Yeah. Right. And that could kill someone, right. you know, mentally and physically. Um, and then obviously doing it this way, everyone starts on the same stand, mm -hmm. gets the same break in generally, mm -hmm. and then you build up to the harder stuff. Is that something that you guys do a lot here or is that just for this shoot? No, we've been doing it now for a few years on the, the English and the British um, and some of the other sh championship shoots as well now, which yeah. um, it seems to work well. People seem to like that kind of system. Yeah, cool. And the other thing I want to talk about is the weather, okay? Did you order this up? I mean, this is awesome. I you mean, guys you guys brought it well, with We brought it with yeah. us. I'm not, I mean, this really is incredible, nice. incredible. And I don't know what the extended right. forecast is, but if I we can it, keep this. I think we've got it all weekend next awesome. week as well. So, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah we're lucky. It's great. That's it's great. Good. Yeah. So, uh, you mentioned the Olympic gold medal in Sydney. That's 2000, correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, I, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think that's really interesting. Uh, as far as I know, I think you're the only guy that has basically accomplished the highest level of shooting in both Olympic sports and the non-Olympic shooting sports. Uh, is, am I correct in that? Uh, as far as I'm aware, yeah. yeah. So, I, I want to talk about a little bit uh, the difference between the two. Uh, obviously, the technical difference. There's there are two different sports, or three, or however many you know you want to count. But I want to talk about the mental difference a little bit, uh, if there is any. Um, so it's my assumption that in you shot double trap, correct? Yeah. You basically can't miss in that game, right or not? Uh, towards the end, I mean, sadly, double trap's now gone. Right. Um, but towards the end. It got that way, yeah. but um, it, they they kept changing the rules and the, the sequences and things like that to mm -hmm. try and make it harder. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I grew up shooting sporting clays from the age of nine years old, uh -huh. um, and then when I was seventeen, I was I, I come across double trap. It was run as a side event at the I think it was the UK Fit House Championships. Oh, cool! In about ninety four. And they ran it as a pool shoot, like a mm -hmm. ten, 10 pairs as a pool shoot. Um, and there was myself and Mickey Rouse, yep. who was one of our great sporting shooters from back in the day. Um, we just, it, it was one of those events where they would pay out every 20 shooters, you know, like 50 quid for every, yeah. every 20 entries. And it was myself and Mickey kept winning it all weekend over the couple of days. And then, um, Ian Coley, it was at Ian Coley's ground. He was mm -hmm. the British team manager for the Olympic team at the time. He said, come shoot some of the selection shoots, see how it goes. Um, at the time, I was still a junior. Um, and within, I think, the first four or five selection shoots, I made the senior team for the British team. Cool. Um, and um, shortly after that, I went to a couple of international events. Shortly after that, qualified to go to Atlanta the mm -hmm. Olympics in '96, mm -hmm. um, which was, you know, it was a great eye opener. 
to see what that environment was like because yeah. it's so different to this type of event. Right. Um, <clears throat> I finished fifth at that one when I was 19. Uh, Russell Mark from Australia, he won it. Yep. Um, and then two years later, went back to the same ground in Atlanta for a qualifying shoot for Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, I won that shoot, broke the world record, and then qualified cool. to go to Sydney Olympics. Awesome. And kind of the rest was history, really. Yeah, that is cool. That Very is really cool. cool. Yeah. Do you think that your experience, and you've you've been to multiple other Olympics after that, correct? Yeah, so I did five Olympics in total. Oh, that's I wow. Did, I did Atlanta all the way through to London. Wow. And the three in between. Are you planning on continuing that, or are you? Going no, to, no, no. I haven't shot any uh, any Olympic events since 2012. Yeah, that was it. Oh, that was me done. Yeah, I, go ahead. Uh, I think maybe the. Uh, well, I always noticed around the time when the Olympics would come up, you would kind of not participate that much in the in sporting events, and I think he maybe he'd have a little bit more than 21 if. Uh, if right, 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 right. But I'll take the gold. I would take the gold medal. Yeah, so right. would I. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so cool because it's right. unattainable in our game. Yes, that's and right. uh, I mean, obviously, that's that's a pinnacle of sports going back thousands of years. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I was very lucky in in 2000. I won the World English Sporting, which was at Southdown yeah. in the UK, um, and then I think within a matter of a week, I was in Australia for the Olympics. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, that, I, hit, that's, I kind of hit form at the right time. Yeah, yeah. In, in two completely different events. How do you? Can you carry over a specific skill set from one game to the other? Does, did they help each other at all? Or? Um, I was always. I personally believed yes, but the people, the uh, kind of the powers that be, yeah, um, didn't really want me to be doing a lot of sporting shooting right. around my doubles. Yeah. Um, but the problem is with with a double trap, there wasn't actually that many competitions to shoot. Yeah. And you guys know that if you go four or five weeks without being in a competitive environment, mm-hmm. it takes you a bit to get back That's into it. Absolutely, yeah. But at the end of the day, a pressure situation is a pressure situation, mm-hmm. regardless of what event you're competing in. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think to be in that environment on a weekly basis <laughs> is better than uh, you know, on a monthly basis, which yeah. is what it was really for for double trap. We would do an awful lot of training, and it, you, you, no matter how hard you try and make training competitive, you can't because there's not something on the line. You, you know, I mean, like you can put. Well, let's talk about that training. When you were training for the Olympics, was that on your dime, or was did does England pay for that, or how does that work when you're training? Uh, so it depends on what level you're at at the time as to how much funding you would get okay. towards your training right but a lot of it was done off of our own backs okay yeah gotcha so um, but again kind of going back to that how do you make training competitive right yeah. right um, even if you're shooting against your teammates or as you guys would know in Team USA yes if you'll go out and have a mess about you don't put in 100% commitment right them, you know, you can put in ten dollars each and and go and shoot for that. Right. But it's not the end of the world. No. Right. If you don't win. Right. If you go to an Olympics, it's the end the of the world. Re- the res- yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's a life for the next It's a life-changing result. Yes. Yes. Because a, it only happens once every four years. Yeah. So you can't go back next week and have another go. Right. Right. Um, but it's the one thing everybody wants to win. Yes. So let's talk about that then. So winning the gold, how do you feel that changed your life? How did that, what did that do for you? 
Um, it completely changed my life in the way that the opportunities that it gave me. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, not only with things like sponsorship, but the people you meet, the places you go, yeah. and then the spin-offs from that. Right. But at the end of the day, it was only something that I wanted to do for me. I wasn't doing it for anyone else. Right, right, right. So I, I noticed, so back in 2009, I tried to do the same thing uh, and go, I wanted, I wanted to try my hand at the Olympics. And uh, I just won the US Open. No, this is 2010 I tried it. I won the Open in 2009. 2010, I was like, I'm gonna try to shoot the Olympics. And so I, and I was doing, shooting double trap because I thought that was the most fun. Uh, and so I, I went to the qualifiers. I went to our national championship, our uh, junior Olympic championship. I was 16, 17 at the time. And I felt that I had pretty much going off what you just said, you, you had to be doing it for yourself uh, because I found that where I felt like I had the technical ability to do it, I didn't love it enough, Is at least not as much as sporting. And I felt that if I was going to dedicate the next four years of my life to doing that, by the time I, if I made it to the Olympics, uh, the guy that loved it more was going to, because that's, there's, it's so hard the training, you know, the uh, the time that you have to put in, the sacrifices that you need, uh, and I just felt that uh, I think it's about time to hang this up already. You know, it was only a few months, and I and I, and I came to that conclusion. Yeah. But you're right; you have to do it for yourself. Yeah. You know? um, and you know, for people like ourselves who grew up shooting sporting, yeah, to put that to one side and just purely focus on right on those two targets. Yeah. Got it. it was boring. Yeah. Right. Um, but then you're always hoping that you will hit the nail on the head on the right day. Yes. Um, but that you know it's a long shot. Yeah. You've got to stick with it. Well, yeah, you did I, it. I was very lucky and managed yeah. to do it. But um, maybe looking back on it, I should have knocked it on the head after Sydney. Yeah. But then I always looked at it and thought. If I did retire after Sydney, you know, when I was when I was sort of stopping at the top, right? I would have thought, could I have done another one? Yeah. And there would have always been that bit eating away in the back of my oh, head, yeah. telling yeah, me I should have carried on and tried to do it again. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Um, but you know, yeah. I wouldn't change it. Looking back on it, I wouldn't change it. Yeah. But it is—it's a massive part of your life that yeah, does take over. That's really cool. Yeah, it is. I, so. Um, I think that that is one of the things that, at least ever since I was a little kid, I've, I've always thought one of the things that makes you so good is that, first off, if, if anybody listening to this has never seen Richard shoot, um, there's nobody that looks more calm and smooth. Ice cold. And just, That's right. It's like watching art. It is. It and, is. I agree. Uh, and ever since I was a little kid, I'm, the first time I saw you shoot was, I think, uh, in I want to say 2007, maybe at the World Championship in Texas at the Super Final, and I remember watching you. So first, the you're different than I mean you're 21 time world champion, Olympic gold medal winner, but uh, I remember watching that shoot off. You separated yourself from everybody, and everybody else is pacing back and forth and real nervous. And Richard's just standing there with his with his gun, just you know, <laughs> cool dressed like an aimless gentleman, right, you know. Right. 
and and just smoking targets. Right. And uh, and I was like, wow, I want to shoot like that guy. And uh, so, but anyways, um, I got distracted in talking about what you look like when you're shooting. <laughs> but, uh, but no, so um, I, I've always thought one of the things that you know makes you so good in those situations is the fact that I think as a sporting shooter, one of the hardest things to do for me, at least, is overcome that. You know, I was talking about going to the Olympics. That I felt like I was going from being a PGA Tour golfer in terms of what I'm, my skill set that I have to have, to having to learn a single thing about golf and perfect it, and uh, to shoot double trap, which is hard because, um, like you said, it's those two targets and it can be boring. But I think the uh, the mental you kind of have to unlock this ability to perform at a world level, whether you're bored or not. And for me, uh, I struggle with that, but I think that, uh, you know, a, when you find certain people in this game that can turn it on no matter what, right? And those are guys mm -hmm. that win. Well, that's the difference. A lot of people can shoot really well. Yes. It's just can they handle the pressure and turn it on at the right time. Yeah. I mean, that's the name of the game, yeah. right? I, I think it's that's one thing that I've been trying to work on so much right now is is uh, when I'm excited about it, or when it means a lot to me, I can shoot really good. If I'm not excited about it, and it doesn't mean that much to me, then I don't really care. Yeah. Right. Which, but, which goes back to what I was saying about, you know, how do you make training exactly. more right. purposeful? Yeah. You can't, you've got to compete. Yes, you the have only, to. The only way you get better at competing yeah. is to compete. Yes. So, um, to put yourself in as many pressure situations as possible, regardless mm -hmm. if you're you know, if you're a lower class shooter or if you're master class or treble A or whatever, right? then um, you, you need to be pitching yourself against people of the same ability or higher yep. and trying to achieve small goals mm -hmm. over a period of time to get the big goal at the end. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's pretty cool. I've always, from my, I've, I do my best practice, I think if you can go back and be very self, I think self-awareness in our game is very big. And if you can be very self-aware of your game and study your performance from tournament to tournament, that's about as good of a practice as you can get. You know, and if you can keep your schedule busy with tournaments and, and especially big tournaments uh, that mean a lot and, and where you do feel that adrenaline rush, uh, you, that's how you improve the quickest. Yeah, definitely. So I think uh, among the guys, the, um, big name guys over outside of the United States. I think probably you're the one guy that has competed in the U.S. more than anybody else. Uh, maybe Ben, but uh, I think you've probably been over there more, uh, especially during the PSCA times and everything. Um, so have you noticed, because the U.S. has always kind of been a little bit behind the times in our, in our game uh, compared to England and uh, and everything, but have you noticed a change of, of anything uh, over in the U.S. in the last maybe five, ten years? Massively. I mean, I think the first time I came to the U.S. was 2001 uh -huh. for the World English in San Antonio, um, and I've been quite a lot of times between then and now. Um, and I think the, where you guys really win over us is uh, your facilities, mm -hmm. the number of shooters at the events, um, 
obviously there's there's far more obviously there's far more money in the sport in the USA than there is in the UK. Yeah. Um, and if you put all of those three things together over the course of ten years, you're going to get a massive flood of talent. Yeah. Come through. Yeah. Um, which has happened over the last 10, 12, 15 years. Mm -hmm. You guys have really been kicking our asses now. Which I don't know about 10, 12, 15, but maybe. Well, yeah, I mean, over the, over the last few years, definitely. Yeah, a few years, um, yeah. You know, and, and up until two years ago, this event had always been won by a British shooter. Right. Until Anthony right. went and upset the apple cart last right. time here, which, you know, it was great to see because then it, it makes everyone think, you know, we have got to pull our finger out we want to keep up with you guys right um, which you know we, and we love coming to the states to shoot because um, everyone's so friendly yeah the facilities are fantastic the events are awesome you know we're lucky we've got a pretty decent event here this week mm -hmm. but on the whole you, you know you can come to one of your regional shoots and it'll be 10 times better than anything that we can lay on in the UK yeah uh, you guys just seem so much more enthusiastic and keen to get all your trade stands and and the amount of targets you can shoot over the course of a week, people just seem to want to, you know. It's like I remember going to the uh, nationals about five or six years ago, and we were on the eight o'clock rotation for one of the events. It may even been sub gauge fit ass or something that we were shooting that early morning one. And we get to the range at seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, floodlights are on. People are out practicing <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning under floodlights. Right, so, uh, right, right. What the hell are people doing? <laughs> right. We're getting ready, Richard. Yeah. We're getting yeah, ready. We gotta get ready. I've, yeah. I've never seen that in my life, um, and that's one thing that'll always stick with me. And you guys, just all you guys want to do over there is pull the trigger, really. That's yeah. what it seems like, which is fantastic. For the yeah, it is addicting. Yeah, I think that it always seems to be that. For me, I love that, but I also love over here how it's so much more to me, it seems like from an outsider it's more focused in terms of like when I come here for the world English or uh, the, the world feed task uh, that's the only thing I'm shooting that week you know that you don't have side events um, you know I go out and shoot 50 birds a day in the world feed task that's cool to me I like not having golf carts uh, it's more purist in my opinion uh, but it, I, you have to learn to also appreciate the difference in, in you know different parts of the world and Oh yeah, it has grown so much in the U.S. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it, for you guys. It's a massive industry, um, which seems to be growing and growing yeah. and growing. Um, it, it, well, over here, people who who enjoy shooting that have got money spend it on what you guys call hunting, or yeah. like we call driven shooting, or stuff like that. Right. Which is the high end of the sport, you know, costing two, three thousand pounds a day to go Jeez. and do. But it seems like. The guys in the U.S. sort of got that kind of money to burn, shoot clays. Yeah, right. Um, well, they're actually doing both. Yeah, because our clay season runs out right when hunting season opens, so yeah. they're doing it the whole time. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's right. Okay, so uh, this might—I don't know if this is or not—but it could be a touchy subject. Uh, but it's come up a lot uh, if you read the internet forums and stuff about how. The difference between uh, the top U.S. shooters and the top uh, English shooters, uh, where the the U.S. shooters seem to um, travel around together, split houses together, practice together, 
uh, and in the U in, uh, in England and the rest of the world, it's uh, it's almost like everybody seems to go their own way. Um, do you, do you think one if you feel comfortable answering that question? I don't know. You know, I want to put you on the spot. We can edit it out if you want. But uh, do you think that that's attributed to some of the success in the in the rapid growth in talent in the U.S.? I, yeah, I would um, I would say for sure that that your team spirit and your team camaraderie that you guys have between you yeah. is um, one of your biggest attributes. Yeah, because um, I, I don't know whether it's something that is financially motivating for you guys to shoot for the team or whether everybody just wants to do it for their national you know to shoot for their national right. team for the pride of it but um, a lot of the top British shooters just want to go and do their own thing yeah at the world fit ass or world English right um, yeah but there's always going to be a national team from the UK right but um, you know people like myself George Ben you know a few others we would just rather go and do our own thing mm -hmm. but um, we always think that you guys as a team are something to really look up to yeah um, and it's always not you know I mean within reason again there's always the same few people from the USA that are in right. that team right you know um, which I think if you if you can all go away and support each other um, and if somebody has a bad day, then you know they're still happy to support other people who are having a good day. Right. But for some reason, the British mentality doesn't have that part yeah. of it, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't, and that's not something that's been there for a long time, Kevin. You know, I mean, maybe the past five years it's, it's turned like that. What our years. team? Yeah. The end. Well, yeah, so I can speak for the last five years. The last five years, we're all, you know, like Richard just said, if a guy's having a bad day, he's rooting for the guy that's having a good day. Yeah. He wants him to win. Yeah. You, know? you know, he may walk out and say, and I know y'all wouldn't do this, but, you know, where was I? <laughs> well, you're a little short, buddy. <laughs> y'all yeah, yeah. would be like, oh, I'm like the it. other way. Yeah. You know, but, uh, yeah, we're looking out. But we're all buddies. You know, we talk to each other all the time. We go do other stuff, you know, whatever it is. We may go to the movies, play golf, whatever, you know, but we hang out, we're friends, you know, yeah. it's, uh, I think once you get to the certain point where you don't feel like you have to prove yourself all the time, yeah. you kind of let that go, yeah. you, you know, um, as far as we're concerned, we're all, you know, anybody on that team at any given day can win yeah. if, if, it, if it's, their, you know, if it's their day, if it's their, their day, they're going to win, yeah. Their yeah. Day. And, yeah, and at the end of the day, nobody with everyone with the talent that there is now mm -hmm. nobody is going to win every shoot they go to no no no, no, no it's impossible. absolutely not no absolutely not for yeah. sure yeah so, so thank you for answering that question uh, I didn't know if you feel comfortable with it, but the uh, so now I've got to ask a few questions that probably a lot of people want to know like in terms of what kind of gun do you shoot what kind of shells do you shoot uh, do you change chokes that kind of stuff okay uh, so First off, what what gun do you shoot? I shoot a Greeny uh, Invictus Five, mm -hmm. uh, thirty-two inch barrel, fixed choke, three quarter and full. Uh -huh. um, I've been shooting uh, that particular gun for about eighteen months now, but I've been with Caesar Greeny now since two thousand thirteen. Okay, what did you shoot before uh, this one? I didn't know that you, you switched. Uh, I had the Ellipse Evo, the round action. Okay. 
uh, which I shot from 2013 up until about 18 months ago. Okay. Is this a new model? Uh, or This is a new model with a fixed choke barrel as well, which is what I've Much wanted better. for a yeah. little while. Yeah. I feel, uh, why do you like fixed chokes better? Um, generally, the barrels are slightly lighter, mm -hmm. which suits my style of shooting. Yep. Um, and I just, I don't particularly like changing choke series down. Yeah. It's just not my thing. I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it handles better. Uh, it's one less thing to worry about. I, yeah. In terms of changing chokes for me, uh, you know, I mean, the time that it would take for me to decide what choke I want and change it, I'd rather spend that time reading the target better. Maybe I need some yeah. fixed barrels. Yeah, That's you need some fixed need barrels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I, I think there's occasionally, if you've got a really close target, yeah. you might hinder yourself a little bit with yeah. a lot of choke. Mm -hmm. But I think in general, you know, guys at our level, um, if you miss, you're generally far enough away that you, exactly. you're going to miss it with full choke or yeah. half choke. Yeah, right, I agree. Um, so I think, you know, for me, it's one less thing to worry about. Mm -hmm. um, and ammo-wise, I use Laval Express Supreme mm -hmm. 8, which is the US 8.5. Oh wow! Um, Use that for everything. I shoot them for ninety-five percent of stuff. Really? Yeah. You, you, uh, I know. It, uh, in the U.S., we talk about speed a lot. You shoot a fast shell, slow shell. Pretty fast. These, uh, I mean, on UK speeds, these are fourteen seventy-five at the muzzle. Yeah, fourteen seventy-five. So what's okay. that like? A, like a thirteen hundred maybe? Uh, it's probably a little touch faster than that. Thirteen fifty. Yeah, the 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 dark storm. They told me it was like fifteen hundred at the at the barrel. Okay. So that's it, what I shoot. Okay, thirteen fifty yeah. then. Probably, yeah, yeah. So probably. they're pretty yeah. similar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's another interesting thing about the shells. We can only shoot one ounce here. At everything, yeah. You know, back home we can shoot ounce and eight. So when a lot of these guys get here and don't have their shells shipped, they go through a whole process of figuring out which shell they want to shoot for the upcoming event. You don't have that problem because you always shoot the same shell. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. I always shoot one ounce on everything. Well, there you go. Now I need fixed barrels and one ounce. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there. Well, and when you shot in the Olympics, what was the what was the max size that you were? Twenty four. Twenty four. We were on twenty four. Yeah, grand. yeah. But when you see the stuff that you know some of those on bunker for example yeah. second barrel edge on target right 45 50 meters those little 24 gram yeah. shells kill yeah um, you know it's quite amazing but obviously if the rules allow people to shoot 32 gram or yeah. ounce and eighth then you know people can you know go for it because right. it, it will give you a lot more pellets yeah on um you know on targets in your pattern that you might need them on i i think that the the Recoil advantage for a one ounce is, is is pretty valuable. Like I know, if you look back at the scores in the Olympics when they were when they when you were allowed to shoot ounce and an eighth and then one ounce and then brought it back down to seven eighths, so twenty four uh, gram. Uh, the, every time they made the the they brought down the maximum load you could use, the scores went up. Yeah. And uh, so that's you know I think that's a good and same thing if you look at American skeet if you look at the guys averages with 12 gauge versus 20 gauge which is a 7 8 ounce or 24 gram most of the time their averages are higher with 20 gauge right um, really yeah and so you know I always look I don't want to shoot a 7 8 ounce load in sporting but I think that the the advantage that you get in in terms of gun control with less recoil is is pretty valuable shooting at one ounce yeah. Um, yeah, one ounce is a great all-round load. Yeah. Um, and as Kevin said, that's all we shoot here. And you know, you can get some pretty extreme targets, and you'll still break them really well with a one ounce load. Right. 
a lot of it is psychological. Yeah. Right. Um, for a lot of people now. Yep. All right. So lastly, because I have no idea how long this has lasted so far, but I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, we have. Um, well, I have two questions. So the first one, before I go to the last one, is uh, we asked some of the listeners to submit some questions. Uh, and uh, Garrett Benskin asked, uh, what change in your practice routine sparked the greatest improvement in your shooting? <laughs> um, so for me, um, when I was in my early days, in my teens, um, I shot an awful lot of practice. So take double trap out of the equation. If we just talk sporting sporting clays now, yeah, I would shoot maybe a thousand targets a week. Wow. Um, you know, I, I was hammering it pretty hard for a good few years. Yeah. And then I think I got to the stage where I just wanted to compete um, because I got to that pivot point where I was just shooting for the sake of shooting. Yeah. Um, and it became a little bit meaningless. Mm -hmm. You, you know, I was quite lucky where I, my, I think my ability, my natural ability, helped me get to a fairly decent level fairly quick. Yeah. So, you, I mean, you, you never stop seeing new targets, but it's how you read those new targets and you relate them to something else you've shot before. Right. But then there becomes a point where you need to change the focus from training to competing which is what we talked a little bit about earlier um, and then I would go from shooting a thousand targets a week practice and maybe only a hundred targets a week competition to maybe two three four hundred targets a week competition and virtually no practice yep. um, so I think it, there becomes a stage where you need to take yourself out of your comfort zone and even if you're training Train with a scorecard. Yeah, yeah. Shoot with somebody better than you, um, or as good as you, yeah. or yeah, yeah. And, and have a you know score your round. So at the end of it, if you've shot an eighty-five, you know where you're at. Right. Um, you haven't just gone out and shot a hundred clays for the sake of it. Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle with that, especially a lot of the the students that I get. They just think practicing is going out and shooting, and that you're basically wasting ammo and time doing that. You know, I. It's, glad to hear you say that because I think it's important to make sure that every shot counts and I, I truly do think that competition makes the best practice no, if you yeah. can go back and analyze it. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alright, so lastly, uh, I want to ask you about your target setting because uh, I absolutely loved your targets at the US Open uh, last year in Georgia. So, um, what, at being a world level competitor in the game of shooting and then also in my opinion some of the best targets I've ever shot um, do you what what do you take from your competing at from the competition aspect of your game into target setting and, and how do you think that that can help you set targets um, <clears throat> I think from for me when I set an event be it um, you know I set the targets for um, the world English in 2006 at Summerlee mm -hmm. um, we came to the US Open last year and we did some bits there. We've got our own club where you know we hold three different competitions every month. Right. So you're always trying to think up new things. But for me, when I set targets for people to shoot, I only set stuff that I think that I would like to shoot at. Yeah. Um, and I would never try and 
beat somebody by distance. You know, you don't have to throw something 60 yards away to get people to miss it. Right. If you make it fun and entertaining, um, you know, and put on some targets that suit the terrain, you know, you don't want any eyesight tests. Um, make sure that everything's visible. Make sure that um, there's plenty of time to shoot the targets because not everybody shoots as quick as I do or you do or Kevin does. You've got to remember that there's people that here this week are going to be 75 years old right. that may not be as quick as we are when we're in our 20s, 30s and 40s. Mm -hmm. So you have to take in all those things into consideration. Make sure you can, you know, you, you can see the targets for long enough. Make sure that they're fair for everyone. Um, you know, if you're going to put on a rabbit target, don't put it on where it's going to be inconsistent and unfair. Right. Try and find the, the best possible ground you can to run that play on. Yep. That somebody's not going to lose a championship with a bouncing rabbit. Yeah. Right. Which. That's yeah, we've all done it, and we've all had it happen to us over it's the sad. years. You you pull the trigger and you blow a hole right where it should have been. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 And it's three feet in the air above your shot string. Right. Um, Do you have any advice for people uh, just kind of just starting out who are not that you know like what are some tips to reading targets? Something um, that can trick you. So re reading targets, use the terrain as much as you can. Um, if you've got stuff that you, you don't know the distance of the bird look where the trap is look where it lands is it coming towards you is it going away mm -hmm. is it quartering crossing uh, you know, try and use terrain the trees or if you've got a cloudy sky with broken clouds you can use them to, to judge the speed of the target um, some of the toughest targets to read from me were in Dubai yeah. where you were shooting on a blank horizon with nothing other than a bit of tumbleweed <laughs> um, which I think is why Gebbin did so well because when we went to Arizona this year <laughs> it's the same thing it's a kind of the same thing yeah. as what yeah. is was, was in Tucson right. Right. a lot of it yeah um, but you know you've just got to really I always say to people when they're if I'm teaching someone which I don't actually do a lot of these days uh -huh. is when you uh, when you go into a stand and you look at a pair of targets for the first time watch that target from the minute it leaves the trap to the minute it either hits the floor or goes out of sight right because you see so many people if you've got a like a rising teal target for example and you've got that as the first bird and you've got something else completely different as the second bird watch the teal on the way up and on the way down before you shout for your second target because uh -huh. it might be an easier shot on the way down right. for example yeah. yep so there's loads of things to to think of really when you when you're setting out like that. Cool. Well, thank you. Is there uh, anything that you wanted to get to in this you wanted to say that we never asked you about? Or? No, not at all. Um, but just to Team USA, shoot well this week, but not that well. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming after you, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, uh, you have yes, anything? Yeah. All right, well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. It's not a problem pretty, at all. Uh, pretty cool to talk to you about all that. It's a stuff, pleasure. So. Yeah. yeah. Good deal. We'll shoot well this weekend. And you guys. Good luck. Yep. Thank you.